He's an influencer and he is now taking steps to use his money and use his connections um, and use his political IQ to turn that into like a real Republican operation. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Ben Landy. It's Thursday, May 25th. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Schleifer, live in Miami, for an inside look at David Sachs, the tech VC and Republican megadonor behind DeSantis's campaign launch. And later, we get into the numbers behind Jeff Rowe's ground game and just how much money Larry Ellison might give to Tim Scott. All that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm Ben Landy, joined by Teddy Schleifer, live from uh, Miami. How's the city, Teddy? Uh, it's great. We are here for the uh, Ron DeSantis fundraising launch at the Four Seasons here in Miami, where um, DeSantis is kicking off his presidential campaign effectively alongside the donors that made him raise a gazillion dollars for his gubernatorial race and will help him raise a gazillion dollars again in his presidential. Yeah, it, it turns out this is all perfect timing, and this is partly why I wanted to have you on today. You just wrote this big profile of David Sachs, who, if people don't know him, he's a big Silicon Valley entrepreneur and a VC, mostly in SaaS companies. He's probably better known now as one of the co-hosts of the All In podcast. He's also sort of an aspiring kingmaker in Republican politics. And then just literally as you were filing the story to us, it was announced that Sachs was going to MC and moderate DeSantis's presidential campaign launch with Elon Musk, who is another friend of David Sachs. We should say that we're recording all this on Wednesday afternoon. So so this Twitter Spaces event hasn't happened yet. We don't know how successful or embarrassing it might turn out to be. But Teddy, I'm, I'm mostly curious what all this says to you about Sachs himself. Like this seems like a real coronation for him. Definitely. Um, so let's be clear. Uh, David Sachs is not Elon Musk, Peter Thiel levels of wealth. He's a venture capitalist who made his money early on from PayPal and then the messaging startup Yammer. But he has shown in a lot of ways that money isn't everything. He is going to be giving his own money to back Ron DeSantis. But he's sort of set up a political operation and a, a media operation that I think is instructive for kind of how to have influence in, in the party. So the fact that he has been chosen to do this tonight um, alongside Elon Musk, which is, you know, a huge honor for David, puts him on the pedestal with Elon and, and DeSantis, you know, two of the uh, highest profile people in Republican politics. And that's because David has become aspiring kingmaker, maybe, but I, I would put it more as like, he just has this network that I, I think whether or not he wants to be a kingmaker or not, he has become a figure with few parallels, at least in Silicon Valley, just because of the people in his Rolodex and 
two of those people are Ron DeSantis and Elon Musk. So it's definitely a, a coronation for, for Sachs. Yeah, again, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. It'll be really interesting to see whether this ends up being a good venue for DeSantis. There's been some second guessing from pundits who've said maybe this is a bad idea for him to sort of be playing second fiddle to a bigger conservative star than himself. But talk to me about the relationship between David Sachs and DeSantis, because obviously part of the knock on DeSantis, at least among donors and political operatives, is that he's actually a little bit socially awkward. That doesn't seem to phase Sachs, maybe because he's sort of on the same wavelength. But regardless, it's going to be an uphill battle for him, even for a guy with his influence and this network you were talking about. He's got to convince fellow donors to back DeSantis when there is so much doubt right now about whether he has the juice to take on Donald Trump. Yeah, look, DeSantis has a lot of donors who are settling for him from the outset. I think I made this point. Apologies to, to longtime pod listeners the other week. But look, I mean, David Sachs is excited about DeSantis, but there are lots of Republican donors who are not as far right as him who are here in Miami, who see him as as the only option uh, in town. You know, if you're anti-Trump, you know, and you not believe that Nikki Haley or Tim Scott can be the Trump slayers, then you end up in DeSantis. So like the fact that he's awkward is, I don't want to say irrelevant, because it could very well be relevant when all is said and done, but it is a reality that DeSantis has to be their guy, regardless of whether or not he would be their first choice. You know, I think lots of Republican donors haven't really shifted their politics from, say, like, the Romney era, right, of 2012 or McCain level of 08, they believe that, you know, there should be a party of, of free trade and free more free immigration and, you know, the Paul Ryan politics. But DeSantis is obviously not caught from that cloth. But the reality is lots of those donors are going to be on the DeSantis team. And, and that's going to be a challenge for him. Like, how does he kind of keep the more populist donors, someone like David Sachs, alongside the Ken Griffins of the world, the Steve Schwartzmans of the world, who are more traditionally conservative. That's going to be a, a political challenge for DeSantis going forward. Yeah, Teddy, it's interesting that you note that some donors are are not as far to the right as Sachs. You also mentioned that he's a little bit of a, a populist. I think in the piece you just wrote, you also described him as leaning a little bit libertarian. It does seem like his politics are kind of all over the place. I mean, he, he had RFK Jr., who was the sort of pseudo-Democrat on the All In podcast the other day. He's also supported Ro Khanna, who is a Democrat, another candidate that he likes. So talk to me about this like political operation that Sachs has, because it's sort of ostensibly centrist, but it seems like for the most part, he is supporting Republicans. Yeah, I mean, I think the word eclectic would be would be fair. I mean, look, I mean, it's funny. So, so Sachs calls this organization Purple Pack. Purple Good Government Pack, I think specifically, and he's a 501c4 called Purple Action. You know, purple thinking being that, you know, red and blue, you know, makes uh, a moderate shade of purple. But these are not centrists, right? Um, you know, Ro Khanna is obviously an interesting political figure who is, you know, a Bernie Sanders supporter, but is also very pro free speech rights, which is an important cause to Sachs. Sachs gave a million bucks to back J.D. Vance in Ohio. He you know, has also backed uh, RFK Jr. And in fact, not only has he had RFK Jr. on the podcast, like he's planning to host fundraisers for RFK Jr. to sort of like mischievously uh, wreck havoc in the Democratic primary. You know, I, I think Sachs is is a populist figure, I think, largely, though he's not like, you know, he he also was calling for like, you know, the bailout of Silicon Valley Bank and was a leading kind of opponent of kind of the, the government needs to do something ASAP, which is obviously not a very populist position. You know, locally, I think Sachs is mostly driven by education issues 
I think that's true in Florida. I think that's true in, in California where, where, where Sachs lives full time. He cares a lot about crime. Uh, and nationally, he's probably the issue he's probably most associated with is like this non-interventionist sort of MAGA-ish tint on, on foreign policy where, you know, Sachs is wanting to see the Republican Party be more like J.D. Vance and be more like Donald Trump, frankly, uh, on, on foreign policy. Sachs has been a big critic of the war in Ukraine, but not in like a, a sense that Russia is necessarily doing something wrong, but that there needs to be an off-ramp for the foreign policy powers that be. So he's an eclectic compilation of beliefs with an eclectic compilation of characters he's backed. And he has the super PAC, you know, and this 501c4, and he's hired aides, and he's working with a guy from John Boehner World. He's working with a lobbyist in DC who works for him to kind of operationalize not just his money behind these candidates and these causes, but also his friends. Like I said at the outset, Sachs isn't actually that rich, very little secret. Um, but he's got a lot of people who donate to things that David tells them to. And donate to, you know, and, and, and frankly, and listen to the podcast. It's like Sachs is like a true influencer. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that term in a disparaging way. Like he is someone who has some power, but has enormous power because of who he knows. I mean, he is so enmeshed with the history uh, or the modern history of Silicon Valley. I mean, he's one of part of one of the famous Stanford classes of the 1990s that, you know, spawned a whole generation of influential people in politics and media. He's part of the PayPal mafia. You know, he has a, a, a big participant in kind of the Silicon Valley poker scene. He's an influencer and he is now taking steps to use his money and use his connections um, and use his political IQ to turn that into like a real Republican operation, a real partisan kind of campaign politics operation. And we're going to see it tonight. Yeah, I've got to give a shout out in some respect to, to a fellow podcaster. We've got to acknowledge All In is doing spectacularly well. It's been climbing up the charts. It's got a real foothold in Washington. It has a very influential listenership. I do listen to it. I, I, I enjoy it. I think Sachs clearly knows a lot more about venture capital and about the SaaS market than he does about politics. I mean, some of his positions on, on Ukraine, you listen to his perspective. Personally, I think it's a little bit infantile, a little bit underdeveloped. The same goes for this interview that they did with RFK Jr., who is a total crank on vaccines and pesticides and wants to put Russia in NATO, did not get a lot of pushback in that conversation. But Teddy, to your point about Sachs's influence, I think one of the key figures that people will be looking to in this race is Peter Thiel, another guy you have written about a lot. Do you think that Sachs potentially has any kind of leverage with his buddy there? I know they, they go way back Teal has been reticent to put money into the 2024 race. Do you think that relationship could prove meaningful for bringing Teal potentially on board to DeSantis down the line? Yeah. So Peter has been reluctant to engage here. And, and I reported a couple months ago, got asked for money by the Trump super PAC and said no. His relationship with DeSantis is like, it's like incomplete. They've met a couple of times. They're not close. You know, I think Teal, you know, just like any other kind of you know, Republican like thinks DeSantis has done a good job as governor of Florida, but um, I would be surprised if Peter got involved with DeSantis in any way. I think for him, it's Trump or bust. So I, I, I would be surprised if he did it. I mean, David is somebody who is hit up a lot for introductions to Peter and to Elon Musk. You know, I talk with Republican fundraisers all the time who, you know, David's fine, but they, you know, you sort of get the sense that like, you know, he's the the younger brother uh, of the, you know, the baseball star where like everyone kind of wants to get to know the real money. You know, David once referred to his net worth as mice nuts compared to uh, to Elon's. Um, so 
David is, you know, I don't want to overstate it. Like it's not, David doesn't work for Peter, right? Um, you know, they're, they're college friends. They go way back to the Stanford review. They obviously worked at PayPal together as David did with Elon, but um, David's his own guy, but he's also does sort of serve. He wouldn't say like the inbox to, to Peter, but like people think he is. And, and that's kind of all that matters. So I would be surprised if Peter eventually did anything with the Sandus at all, but I expect people to try and they'll probably try through Saks. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, I want to get your opinions on the DeSantis Super PAC and also what's going on with Tim Scott. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So Teddy, Sachs has been talking about helping raise a ton of money for DeSantis. But let's talk about how the DeSantis team is going to spend this. Because... The real DeSantis brain trust right now is mostly over at his super PAC. It's it's being led by one of Puck's favorite political consultants, Jeff Rowe, the crew from Axiom Strategy, some of the, the Ted Cruz alumni. They've got nearly $100 million over there that they're going to transfer over from the old DeSantis state political super PAC. Plus, there's another, I guess, $100 million or so they're in the process of trying to raise. The New York Times just had some reporting on this, and apparently the PAC never backed down is planning to put about half of that money into voter outreach and a ground game, which sounds incredibly ambitious and maybe a little crazy. And I'm, I'm curious what you make of it. Sure. So um, I, I have some PTSD from uh, covering Ted Cruz in 2016 when he had a very, at the time, you know, novel or, or innovative super PAC strategy that has some similarities to this one. Um, and it is not forgotten or or unnoticed that a lot of cruise people are involved with DeSantis this time. So, but I mean, the, 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 the big story here, taking a step back, Ben, is like, you know, Super PAC's been around for like 12 years or 13 years now since Citizens United. And for a long time, they've just done television advertising. You know, frankly, that's where most media or most spending in presidential campaigns goes uh, writ large, is the buying TV digital ads. And so typically like Super PAC's over the last couple or first couple cycles after Citizens United were basically just kind of like compilations of consultants, right? They'd be people who did TV, people who did digital, people who did radio, you know, maybe you'd have some donor and kind of development people. But beyond that, like they just did television and, 
you know, you raise a lot of money and you spend it on TV. But over the last couple of cycles, I'd say beginning in 2016, super PACs have taken on more and more traditional campaign functions. So um, the DeSantis super PAC, I've heard this too, like broadly, I mean, obviously the time story goes to another level, but I've broadly heard that, you know, the DeSantis super PAC is prepared to see just how much they can do under the guise or the auspices of this independent operation. And, you know, the reason why it is risky to say the least is that the super PAC cannot coordinate with the campaign. And, you know, the super PAC cannot make sure that they feel comfortable that they're, you know, acting on the candidate's wishes. So that's the risk, you know, with a super PAC doing fields, you know, if they hire 2,600, 2,600 organizers, which is what the super PAC plans to do, you know, if the DeSantis campaign feels, hey, we think we have a better shot in Iowa than we do in New Hampshire, you know, they can't stop the super PAC field organizers from sending them from New Hampshire to Iowa. Like, you, there's only so much you can you can communicate. Uh, the advantage, though, it should be obvious, which is that super PACs can raise unlimited money, right? You can collect checks with as many zeros at the end as you want, and campaigns are capped out at thirty three hundred bucks a person. So a super PAC, you know, it's easier to raise the money. It's easier to raise two hundred million bucks, which is you know what they think they'll have, than it is for a campaign to raise that much. It's just like you have to spend it in different ways. And you know, kudos, I guess, to the DeSantis people for you know following the the law uh, only to the letter and seeing what they can get away with, and knowing how the FEC works, like they could probably get away with a lot. <laughs> so that's the idea. Yeah, that that's one way to put it. I mean, to me, it kind of seems like a fuck you to whatever remaining distinction or firewall there is there is legally supposed to be between super PACs and the campaigns. Like you said, this is not just a pack putting money into TV ads in different markets. This is basically the entire DeSantis ground game being privatized and outsourced and run by this supposedly outside group. And also, by the way, I don't want to be overly cynical, but it definitely sounds expensive. Like when you think about whatever fees are associated with a project like this and how much is flowing to the managers and consultants of the super PAC, this is a massive, massive undertaking. Yeah. I mean, look, 2,600 field organizers is is way more than most campaigns, obviously. Um uh, you know, like in some ways, it reminds me more of like Americans for Prosperity, like a Coke Network sort of field operation than it does a traditional super PAC or a traditional presidential campaign. You know, investing in field is, is it's like risky. I mean, it's hard to like roll some roll back the cost there. Like with TV, you can just cut at you can just, you know, cut cut your ads and, you know, and be fine. I mean, you know, shelve them from from airing and you can not make new ads with field. Obviously, it's like a payroll expense. So it's a fixed cost. And, you know, they, they clearly think field works. I think there's lots of debate, frankly, in like the political science literature about whether or not field actually works. And we'll leave it to people smarter than me to deduce that. But uh, Axiom Strategies, which is run by Jeff Rowe, has a big field operation. They have a, a, a massive staff and they're ba- basically running the super PAC. So not a surprise they believe in field. And frankly, like, you know, uh, lots of veterans of Cruise World in 2016, like think of field as why they had a shot in Iowa, why they won Iowa. And, you know, obviously the Obama folks talk about 08 in this sort of romantic way of, you know, knocking on doors in Iowa and, you know, convincing people to to vote for this black senator from Illinois. And there's like a romanticism to it. But the risk is you have 2,600 people on your payroll that you can't fire easily. And like, frankly, I'm, I'm amazed how they're going to do this this quickly. I mean, it's a lot of people for any organization to hire in just like six months, which is basically how quickly they'll have to do it. Yeah, well, it's, at the very least, it's a shot across the bow saying that the, the DeSantis campaign is real. It's happening. They're, they're really making a go of it, unlike some of the other candidates who have sort of dipped a toe, but are probably not expected to go the distance. 
<laughs> Speaking of which, Teddy, I do want to get your your final thoughts before we go about Tim Scott. You have been reporting for months and months that he was almost certainly going to run for president or get involved in 2024 somehow, in large part because he had this huge war chest of money that's been supplied by Larry Ellison, the multi-billionaire founder of Oracle, who basically just loves Tim Scott and wants to see him happy and wants to see him succeed in politics. Obviously, Tim Scott is now in the race, and there was some new reporting this week that Republicans close to Larry think that he's at least likely to double what he gave to Scott's super PAC in 2022. I'm curious if you think that's accurate, and what, what does that actually amount to? Is that like another $15 million, another $30 million that that Ellison might contribute towards this campaign? Yeah, I think that reporting is like directionally correct. I, you know, I have doubts, I'll say, about whether or not Larry has actually committed any actual amounts. Um, I reported a couple of weeks ago that like Lowry has not has not uh, communicated to the people who he should communicate it to that he has a, he has a number in mind. It was interesting to me that Ellison was at the Scott launch. Um, he, he was spotted there, you know, in the VIP section in in South Carolina. You know, he he got Ellison, a shout out. Ellison lives in Hawaii. He got a shout out. Right? It was Tim Scott called him his mentor uh, or one of his mentors, which I thought was. Probably, you know, I'm sure Tim Scott thinks that, but it was also like politically savvy. And like Ellison's a very emotional donor. I don't mean that in like a mean way. He just like follows his heart. And I think to see Tim Scott up there, you know, calling him his mentor and, you know, to be there in person, uh, that, that's probably worth a few bucks. Um, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. it, literally the world's most expensive front row tickets to a campaign event. Teddy, we've got to leave it there, but thanks so much for doing this. Always appreciate talking to you. Have fun in Miami and I'll check back in with you on Slack. You bet. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.